awesome. Well, thanks, Julia, for reading that story. And just a few other words of thanks. All of the readings, uh, the Advent readings that have been done throughout this season were written particularly uh, for Jericho by uh, Deb Jarvis. So Deb, thank you for using your gifts in that way. And they were wonderfully resonant with scripture and appropriate for each and every one of the weeks that we jumped into. Uh, also, if you haven't had time, you'll see during the teaching time this morning, some of the pictures and the artwork come up, but these have all been done by people at Jericho for this morning. Uh, They're specially commissioned works uh, that are uh, going to describe for us and help us understand a little bit more about uh, the scripture in Luke 2 this morning. Well, welcome to Christmas Eve, 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 Eve. My name is Brad, and I'm part of the teaching and leadership team here at Jericho, and we're glad you're with us this morning. Uh, when we are all together in this format, which we do every year on Christmas Eve, uh, pulling it into a Sunday morning, we call it our Epic Sunday, which is, stands for, can you help me remember? E is for? Experiential. Okay. The P is for? Participatory. Yep. The I is for? Intergenerational. That's right. And the C is for? Cookies, that's right. The C is for cookies, that's right. Okay, so um, as we begin looking at Luke chapter 2 this morning, I want to ask you to think back to the story that we just read and think about the sheep in that story. Now, how are sheep usually portrayed in picture books? Sheep in picture books always look cute. They're soft and fluffy And even in works of art, if you take a look at sheep, mostly sheep in works of art. Now, this is a a blown-up picture of one that was done by the Moors over there. And you can see the sheep, even in works of art, look so fluffy and soft, like little cotton balls in works of art, which is fantastic. And sheep are cute when you buy a stuffed animal. It's really cute, little sheep uh, like that. But... Sheep in real life, kids, I'm, uh, I'm sorry to have to break this to you, but sheep in real life are not cute and cuddly in the same way that sheep in art and stuffed animals sheep are. So I grew up in a, in a small uh, town in northern BC, an agricultural community, and when we would go on school field trips, we would go to actual fields. And so one day we went to the agricultural college on a field trip, and we arrived on the day when they had lots of sheep there, and we arrived on the day that they were actually going to be uh, shearing the sheep. So I don't know if you've ever seen what they use to shear sheep, but like if you saw one of these things coming at you and you were a sheep, you would probably not be very excited because shearing sheep is a little bit of tricky business. And we were there, and so they decided that they would like to give these young elementary school-age kids a real sheep-shearing experience. And so we were supposed to be right there in the thick of things, helping to hold the sheep while they tried to shear them. So, um, you know, this, this did not go very well, uh, because sheep, in real life, do not like to be sheared they get a little bit freaked out when you come at them with sharp objects. 
And so forever seared into my young memory of this school field trip was trying to grip these sheep, these smelly, dirty, matted, gross-looking sheep, as they, we tried to wrestle them to the ground so that the agricultural students in college could get practice shearing these sheep. But what I learned from this and that I would like to pass on to you is that sheep in real life are not like the sheep that you see in the picture books. Sheep are kind of gross in real life. And they're very feisty and very ornery and generally fairly smelly creatures. So the point is that appearances can be deceiving. So we need to be aware of this. So in the month leading up to Christmas... Uh, In the season that Christians traditionally call Advent, which means the arrival or the waiting, uh, we've been exploring a series of songs together at Jericho Ridge. The songs that were sung that first Christmas. And so we've been looking in the New Testament in the Gospel of Luke. And we've looked at Zechariah's song. And that was a song really where Zechariah changed his tune from doubt to a song of thanksgiving and praise. And we looked at uh, the song of Jesus' mother, Mary, and her song was a song of praise and declaration of God's work in the world, a God who acts and who redeems. And last week, uh, Rob reminded us about Simeon's prophetic song, a declaration of faith in a God who acts and accomplishes his purposes. And today, we're going to look at our final song in the Gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter 2. And it's a song that the angels sing, and a song called the Angels' Alleluia. So turn with me in your Bible or your phone to Luke chapter 2, and I'll be reading from Luke chapter 2. We'll start in verse 8, and we'll go through till verse 20. It'll be up on the side screens here uh, for you to follow along. So Luke 2 verse 8 starts this way and says, That night there were shepherds staying out in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep, and suddenly... An angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of God's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. Now, here I'd like to draw your attention to Sienna Chua's very artistic but very accurate description and picture of terrified shepherds and sheep. Now, I'm not sure, Sienna, what you titled your piece, but if I could give it a title, it would be Freaked Out Sheep. (laughs) Look at the sheep. He's like actually so freaked out that he flipped over onto its back. That's awesome. I love it. Freaked out sheep, all right? So these are genuinely terrifying experience for everyone. So let's keep reading and see what happens. In verse 10, but the angel reassured them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Well, when the angels had returned to heaven, The shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried to the village, and they found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. And after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened 
and what the angel had said to them about this child. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. And the shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen because it was just as the angel had told them. Well, here in this passage, we have three pictures that are painted for us where there really is a difference between, I think, the expectation in our minds or the picture that we have in our minds and the reality of them. So we've already talked about sheep, how the picture in our minds is kind of soft and fluffy and the reality is kind of smelly and gross. But let's start with the shepherds. When you and I think about shepherds, what comes to our minds? Well, mostly I think it's kind of coloring book kinds of pictures of shepherds where we see them and we can kind of color them in. And there's some pictures in there, in your busy bags actually, kids, of coloring book kinds of shepherds. Or maybe you think about children with tea towels on their heads appearing in Christmas pageants all over the place. But it's all kind of, when we think of shepherds, it's all very tame and kind of pastel-like and Christmas pageanty. But see, here's where I think the Smethurst girls, in their art piece, I think are on the right track. See, let's look at their picture of, of shepherds. See, their shepherds look a little scruffier than the average picture that you have in your minds of scripture, uh, of shepherds. See, these shepherds look like shady people to me. Like kind of that they're up to no good in some way. Maybe it's the goatee, but I don't know if I'd want to meet these people. Or what's in the secret sack there around. But they look like you may not want to meet these guys in a dark alley. So even in the Middle East today, shepherds live a nomadic existence. And we romanticize it, but it's actually a really hard life. You're out in the elements all day and all night trying to make a living protecting and keeping these smelly sheep. You begin to smell like your sheep. In the ancient world, as Deb highlighted for us in the reading, shepherds were not very popular. They were considered unreliable to the place where we have records in the ancient world that shepherds were forbidden from testifying in court because they were considered so unreliable as a category that no one could believe what they said. They were considered shifty and smelly outcasts, not the stuff of coloring books. But think about this for a moment. God then chooses to decide to reveal the message of the birth of Messiah to those on the margins. Their culture may have despised and rejected them, but God chooses shepherds to discover and declare the greatest mystery in the history of humankind. Even though they're, by their own cultural standards, they're unreliable, considered thieves and shifty, God chooses them to declare his work in the world. As smelly and as dirty as they are, they come. They don't clean up. They simply respond to what God is up to, and then they declare it. But you see, there's another group in this story that we often get a little bit confused in our minds about and have a little bit of a misperception about, and that is the angels. 
Because when you think of angels, what do you think of? Again, it's probably a little more on the coloring book side of things. Or we've actually been horribly influenced by romantic art, and particularly Italian Renaissance art, as to what angels may be like. So here's a piece by uh, the Italian Renaissance painter Raphael, which may be familiar to you. But think about this for a minute. If I'm a shepherd, I can defend my sheep against lions and tigers and bears, oh my. If something like this showed up to you in the middle of the night, if I was a shepherd, I would laugh and poke it with my stick. I would not be afraid of that at all in any way, shape, or form. But look what the text says. The text says that they were terrified. Consistent with the appearance of angelic messengers to other people in the Christmas story, their first response isn't, oh, that's so cute. Their first response is fear that an angelic messenger from heaven has appeared to them. I love Josh Groom's piece here and Curtis Cottrell's piece. And you can see it in the faces of those shepherds. An angel appeared among them. The radiance of God's glory surrounds them. And they don't think, that's so cute. They are terrified. Look at their faces. They're freaked out. And then, not just one angel, but a multitude of the heavenly hosts. They are joined by the very armies of heaven. And if you're scared of one angel, imagine a vast army of them in the heavens appearing before you in the night sky. But here again, we see the difference between the expectation and the reality. See, the armies, when an army appears before you, the hosts of heaven, the armies of God who hold all power and majesty and could decimate and destroy anything in the word of their commander, instead of waging war, what do they do? They're here to proclaim and announce peace on earth and God's favor on humanity with whom God is pleased. See, the appearance in our minds, the sort of perception that we have, and the reality is so vastly different. And so I want to help us remember that. And so today I brought with me something that can help us remember that a little bit. And uh, it's a coloring book. So it, it looks like a normal coloring book, doesn't it? But um, see, Ben, what's the title here? It's a fun magic coloring book. Right, so it it's, may appear to you as a normal coloring book, but I'm going to show you that there's, this is a fun magic coloring book. All right, so what is the key part, uh, Ben, of a coloring book that you need to have inside of a coloring book? Yes, pictures, that's right. We want to see some pictures in here. So let's just see... Maybe if in my fun magic coloring book that there's any pictures. We'll have a look and see, okay? So, maybe I brought the wrong coloring book today. I forgot about this. Um, Okay, well, it is a fun magic coloring book, right? So, um, maybe you could do, Ben, can you help me? Uh, Ben Ryan, can you guys imagine some pictures that might appear in a fun magic coloring book, okay? Just think about it for a minute. Okay, 
Think about some, yeah, fun magic. Okay, now touch the coloring book. Just like, okay, yeah, there you go. Touch the coloring book. Yeah, perfect. Okay, now let's see if the pictures that were in your mind maybe made it into the coloring book because that's kind of the key part of a coloring book, right, is seeing some pictures in the coloring book. So, all right, let's have a look. Whoa, you guys are good. You guys are really good. I should get you guys to help me more often. Is that the pictures you had in your mind of fun magic stuff like coloring? No? No? What's even more magic than you imagined then? How great is that? Wow. Oh, yes. Rise, well, yes, yes, yes. That was exactly what you imagined when you touched the coloring book happening. Yeah, pictures of fun magic stuff coming. Yeah. Whoa, okay. Um, well, I needed to adjust my expectations then. Now, Ben, you did make a good point, though. There is sort of a key to coloring books, and that is what? The colors, right? So maybe, um, maybe we could do it again. Do you think you guys could make that happen? So now... Um, well, let's see if you guys can work with me on this one. Okay, so fun magic coloring book. Okay, so those pictures that you saw, see if you can think about those maybe colored pictures. Okay, so close your eyes. Think about them for a minute. All right, give it a try. Okay, touch the coloring book again. Touch the coloring book again. Okay, let's have a look. See what we got. Oh, you guys are bad news. You made them all disappear now. How did that happen? Okay, we need some help from, I'm going to get your sisters to help you then because, you know, that's what you do, right? When you need some... You did it on purpose. You made them disappear on purpose. I, come on, you've got to help me out here. Okay, all right, Am you going to come? Give me a hand. Okay, we need to picture... Remember those pictures we had before? And then we want to put that pictures actually into the coloring book. Because, like, it'd be no good if our artwork, we just, you know, had them not colored in. All right? Okay, so the pictures, all right, you're going to... And then we'll get... Yeah, can you touch it and then picture them colored in? Okay, good work. Okay, Picture them colored in, and we'll touch it, Kate. Touch it, Kate. Okay. Perfect. Okay, let's see if we can get that. All right, ready? All right, so on three. Can you count on three with me? One, two, three. Whoa! Those guys are good. I should help them, have them help me more often. I know, you guys are a little sketchy on the, on the coloring paste there, but keep working on it, all right? See if you can do it on the real coloring sheets there. All right, so... I brought this with me to help us remember that appearances can be deceiving, right? Because it seems like an ordinary coloring book, but it's actually a fun magic coloring book. So things are not always as they seem. Think about the shepherds. They're there. They might have seemed like scruffy and unreliable outcasts in their culture, but they became messengers of the greatest news that was ever declared to humanity, the arrival of Jesus to our world. And the text says that they then told everyone about what they had heard and seen. Did everybody believe them? I don't know. Probably not. But all who heard the shepherd's story, the text says, were amazed or were astonished at it. And perhaps... Part of the astonishment maybe came because of who was telling the story. The notion that an angelic messenger came to deliver not judgment or terror, but good news of great joy, which shall be for all people. But see, the greatest contrast between appearance and reality wasn't with the sheep, wasn't with the shepherds, wasn't even with the army of angels coming to announce peace, but it lay wrapped in strips of cloth lying in the manger. Because the greatest differential between appearance and reality was that Jesus 
the one announced by the angels as Messiah, as Savior, as Lord, came into our world not as an empire builder born in a castle or a palace, but as a tiny human baby lying in a trough, a feeding trough for cattle. You see, centuries earlier, the prophets had foreseen this and wrote it down. God had given the prophet Isaiah a vision of this discrepancy. In Isaiah 53, 2, Isaiah said, speaking of Messiah, speaking of Jesus, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Nothing about the scene that night would have given any indication of what was truly happening. Which is why so many people in their day and so many people in our day miss it and miss the significance of First Advent. Yeah, it was a tiny human baby, but this baby was the king of heaven lying beneath the very stars that he created. Fully God, fully human. The Lord of the universe chooses to come to earth that night to show us how much he loves us, to live amongst us. The scripture says to identify with our weakness, with our frailty and our humanity, our own lack of faith, our own wrestling with doubt and fear. He knows and understands because he experienced what you and I experience as human beings. And the great mystery is that lying in that bed of hay, was the second person of the Trinity, Emmanuel, God choosing to be with us. I love the way that poets and songwriters attempt to wrestle with this great truth. John Donne, the great 16th, sorry, 17th century English poet and pastor, says it this way in his poem, Nativity, A Christmas Prayer. Seest thou my soul with thy faith's Eyes, how he, speaking of Jesus, speaking of God, who fills all place, yet none can hold or contain him, doth lie. The Lord of heaven and earth, who cannot be contained, chooses to be contained and willingly confines himself to time and space and the limitations of human frailty. The appearance and the reality could never have been so vastly different. And so, because the appearance and reality are so different, we need to pause and ask ourselves the question, why? Why would God choose to operate in this way? Well, in the book of Philippians, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, who himself was a doubter and skeptic, yet who encountered Jesus in a vision and whose life was radically and profoundly changed by it, answers this question for us. He quotes one of the earliest songs of the church in the first century. And in Philippians 2, he says this, that Jesus, though he was God, did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. And he was born as a human being. And when Jesus appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and he died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God chose to exalt or elevate him to the highest place of honor. 
and give him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, this was no magic trick or sleight of hand. This was God's incredible love on display for you and for me and for all of the world and all of history to see and experience. Because, friend, the greatest demonstration of love that anyone could be willing to make is if you are willing to give up your life for another person. And that is precisely what Jesus did. He was willing to set aside the glories of heaven to be born in Bethlehem some 2,000 years ago and to live an exemplary life, to die on a Roman cross. Why? Because of love. Because when Jesus hung on that cross and gave his life for all of humanity, again, the difference between appearance and reality could never have been more stark. It appeared in that moment that all was lost. But just like the manger, the cross is not all that it appeared to be. Because Jesus lived that perfect life, free from sin and shame and guilt and evil, and when he sacrificed himself on the cross for you and me and gave his life for you, he took upon himself all the punishment that you and I deserve for all of the wrong things that we have ever done. And so when you and I say yes to God, we receive by faith the greatest gift that God has ever chosen to give to humanity, the gift of forgiveness, the gift of a real and meaningful relationship with God himself, the gift of real and meaningful life that begins now and goes on forever to those who choose to receive it, the gift of relationship with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But just like any gift under any tree this week, you have to actually choose to receive it. And there's no mystery as to how that transpires. The scripture is clear. You and I need to practice what was modeled for us by the shepherds when they first heard the angel's declaration. The first thing they had to do was decide if what they were seeing and hearing was true or if maybe they were having some kind of weird, trippy group hallucination. And they decided it was significant enough to explore and to take action in some concrete way. They decided that it, if it's worth believing, it's worth at least investigating. And so they had to get over their own pride or fear or concerns of what it might mean to stumble into town in the middle of the night and begin to knock on doors to try and find this baby that the angels told them about. And maybe they did experience, we don't know, rejection. And people saying, get out of here, shepherds. We don't want to deal with you. Don't come wake me up in the middle of the night. But eventually, they found what they were looking for. They chose to seek and to see. And for them, seeing was believing. And maybe you're here today and maybe you're on a journey, a journey of exploration, a journey of seeking. You're not sure if God is real or if the Christmas story holds anything for you of any meaning or substance. I would invite you to maintain your curiosity 
And not just maintain it, but actually act on it in some way to seek and to see what Jesus is all about. And you'll find here at Jericho Ridge a community of people who are on a journey of faith together with various experiences, various histories, various backgrounds, and various approaches that they've taken to explore what it means to live a life of faith together, to be a disciple of Jesus who embodies God's love everywhere that we go. And we would love for you to join us in that journey together. And if that describes you, then we'd invite you to stick around and stay connected with us. Invite you to talk to me or the person who brought you after our time concludes together this morning. We want to walk with you as you grow and as you explore. Maybe for you, though, you think about something like this and you say, you know, I've been around the manger for a long, long time to the point that the stories and the songs of Christmas are pretty familiar to you. I wonder if maybe this season you might ask God to just give you a little bit of a deeper insight into some of the discrepancies between the appearances and the reality of the Christmas season. Maybe you'd be filled with a fresh sense of wonder this season to see that amazing difference between the mundane appearance and the profound reality of Christmas. See, we can get caught up in just the appearances of presence and family and warm times together, all of which are wonderful and good, but there's so much more depth and richness to the Advent season that's here for us to invite others into. And maybe your challenge is to step a little bit out of your comfort zone this Christmas season and invite others to explore, to do what the shepherds did. You see, the shepherds were bold in their declaration of what it was that they had found. They told, the text says, everyone about what they had seen and heard. Some of us who have been around the manger for a long time are not as great about the everyone part and about the declaring what we have seen and heard part. And so maybe your challenge for this week is to do what the shepherds did, to be bold in your declaration of your experiences. Maybe you want to invite a family member or a neighbor to Christmas Eve here in the Arena Bowl with 5,000 of your other best friends. So it's not going to be a high-pressure, low situation for you where you're going to get singled out in any way. Maybe you're going to take uh, some Christmas goodies over to a neighbor and get to know them. And maybe you're going to open your home to people in some way this week that need some care and some love. See, the shepherds were intentional about not keeping the good news of great joy to themselves. When the angel appeared to them, the shepherds could have done that. They could have gone, found, gone back, and just called it a night. But they made a choice not to only seek and find, but also to go and to tell. And so maybe for you, you need to grow in your going and in your telling this Christmas season. Because the shepherds came to the most unlikely place of all to find the king, a manger, and they bowed their knees and they worshiped. And then the shepherds went out, declaring the story and glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and all that they had seen. Are you and I willing to do the same? We're going to have a team come and remind us in song of the purpose and the driving question of why was Jesus born? And as they come, I want to invite you to take that same journey in your heart and in your mind this morning. Come and Worship is the words of the song. Hear the song that the angels sing. Come and worship.
take the journey that the shepherds took. Worship Christ, the newborn king. Let me pray for you as we worship.